Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, November the 14th. We continue in our study of the Thessalonians, both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We actually will wrap up 1st Thessalonians today as we look at verses 12 through 28 of chapter 5. I'm reading from the ESV. This is the final instruction in benediction. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you and in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Then may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I heard a saying that goes, the most important thing in learning to relate to others is personal honesty. Once you learn to fake that, everything else is easy. Some people, unfortunately, do seem to follow that philosophy. And to Paul, the mark of true Christian faith is that it changes everything that we do and say. It affects every area of our life. You see, a Christian may no longer act as they did before they came to Christ. This is very clear in the letters of Paul. And every letter that he wrote, excuse me, every letter that he wrote ends with very pointed practical applications to daily situations of the truth that he had set out. In this first letter, of Thessalonians is no exception. The closing verses of chapter 5, in which we we're now at, are, are wonderfully practical guidelines on how to live Christianly, if you will, in three different areas of life. First of all, how to act toward the leaders of a church. We don't say a lot about that at Benaral Christian Fellowship, but it is part of the record of the New Testament. Then secondly, how to live with other believers, whether at home, at work, or wherever. And then finally, how to live toward God and respond to the situation where he puts us. So first of all, how to act toward the leadership of the church. We begin with verse 12 of chapter 5, but we, this is the RSV version, but we, we beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You see, Paul intended that this word would, should govern the behavior of believers in the congregation there at Thessalonica. A, ch- a change needs to be made here, however. The, the English translators of the scriptures were in, were in a church that had a highly structured hierarchical leadership. So many scripture references are translated in that direction. The phrase, those who blank, 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 are over you in the Lord, it's not a good translation. It reflects a relationship that scripture everywhere actually speaks against. Jesus said to his disciples, one is your master. All, all of you are brothers. That's Matthew 28. Christians are brothers and sisters. That's not practiced in a lot of places, unfortunately. 
So what's really being said here in in Thessalonica is respect those who labor among you and stand before you in the Lord. Paul is referring to those who stand in front and lead the whole group. Now, there is no suggestion of anyone being over others. Tradition has caused this proper translation to be lost, to to sort of be be lost down through the years. But it does need correcting. What Paul is saying then is follow our leaders. And there are three things which church members must do with regard to their leaders. First of all, they're to respect them. Again, this is not an, an accurate translation. The word really is to know them, to recognize them, to be aware of them, to not take them for granted. Here Paul is saying, get to know your leaders. Understand that they are people and don't ignore them. Then secondly, esteem them very highly in love. Value them, in other words. Understand that though they may have their own personal idiosyncrasies that may be hard to handle on occasion, we all have those, recognize that their work is important and that they should be highly esteemed for that reason. One of the ways in which the church through the centuries has tried to do this is by giving their leaders rather high-sounding titles that give them sort of a a nice title, bishop, reverend, or some other high-sounding word. But Paul is not talking about that. You see, I am, I am Alan. I'm just Alan. And that's, that's how I want to be addressed as Alan. I notice in the New Testament in, in the early church that the early church leaders, these the apostles of our Lord were called by their first names. We find references such as Paul um, answered, etc. They, they're, they're not St. Peter or the Apostle John. They, they, they are references to Peter and John. This was the way that they were recognized. It is the most appropriate that we call leaders by their real names and not glorify them by some high-sounding title. To esteem them very highly is, is not only to regard leaders as valuable, but also to express that esteem in, practical, in a practical manner. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, if an elder rules well, actually leads well, is what really it should say, then he's worthy of a double honor. You see, I have no complaints whatsoever about the way the congregation and the leadership of this church have treated me and my family. Our needs have been met. Every pastor of this church could say the same. You have been outstanding in this respect, and I want to express a public word of gratitude for that. And then thirdly, Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. And in context, that is related to his instructions on how to treat church leaders. It suggests a deliberate refusal to create factions over individual leaders of a church. Do not group around one person at the expense of, of others in leadership. Do not play favorites and attack others. In 1 Timothy, Paul admonishes that no one may bring an accusation against an elder except on the word of two or three witnesses. And there has to be careful, considered approach to that problem. And Paul gives three, three reasons for this care of leaders. First, leaders are sent by the Lord. Paul says, we, we beseech you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord. Leaders have been appointed by the Lord, regardless of the human process on how they were chosen. That does not mean that they cannot be changed or that in the course of events that they will go someplace else. What it means is that when they're in, the, the, in leadership, they're be regarded as the Lord's men and the Lord's women. They have sent us them among us. The second reason is... They admonish you. The word literally is to put in mind. They instruct and inspire us, reminding us of truth that can easily be forgotten. The only voice that is speaking powerfully against the spirit of of the age, the self-centered, self-sufficient, restless spirit of the me generation is the voice of the church. 
And so we need to be reminded continually of the danger in that kind of philosophy. This is done by the leadership who instruct, who warn, who point out. They help us keep our feet on the right path. And then thirdly, Paul says, they labor among you. They work hard. They spend hours toiling, to, toiling in some difficult, uh, demeaning uh, situations in work, contrary to what some people think and what I've even joked about. It's not true that pastors only work one, way, one day a week. The ministry is a demanding job. And that's why Paul says we are to value our leaders, treat them with respect and love, because they work hard among us. In the next section, Paul addresses our behavior towards one another in the body. We exhort you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good for one another and to all. It's 14 and 15 of chapter 5. So how do we stack up on that list? Notice that this is not addressed to merely to leaders. Every believer is to live like this in these days. Paul points out first special behavior toward three distinct types of people, the idlers, the faint-hearted, and the weak. Warn the idlers, he says. The, the word is literally the disorderly, those that are out of step. In, in, in Thessalonica, it meant those people whom he had referred to earlier, who had quit working because they expected the Lord to come at, at any moment. The, these were living off the gifts of others and not willing to work to support themselves. Admonish them, says Paul. Tell, tell them to mend their ways. Do not let them go on like that. He does not mean to do this in a mean-spirited way, but to point out to them this kind of behavior is not acceptable. Secondly, encourage the faint-hearted. Literally, the small-souled is a good translation. One who feels inadequate, ungifted. Help them find their place, says Paul. This is addressed to everybody. People who feel out of it, who think they, they do not belong and cannot contribute anything, must be helped to find their place because they do have a place. In the, in, the, in the wonderful picture of the body at work in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says the ear can't say because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. No, says Paul. Even, even if it says that, it, it does not make it any less a part of the body, 1 Corinthians 12. And there are those of us who feel that way. That we, we think, you know, I can't do anything. I don't have any gifts. Well, that's the wrong thinking. God has equipped all his people with gifts. And we're to help each other to find our place, to give, to give something to do, to encourage each other in the work that we're doing. And then finally, he says, help the weak ones. This, this means especially those in Romans 14 describes as uh, being weak in the faith. Those of us who do not know very much about the doctrine of Christian life, who have who've not learned the truth that sets us free that, that, and need extra help. Perhaps it's those who are not sure of their salvation or or that they feel guilty about the past and, and do not sense that they've really been forgiven by God. Whatever it may be, the word is to help them, to hold them fast. That demands a, a little extra effort, uh, a phone call perhaps, an invitation to lunch, uh, a quiet talk. Um, it's addressed to all of us. We're to watch out for one another like this. And these special three special attitudes, Paul says, are required if, if we're going to do these things. First of all, we have to be patient. Secondly, we have to see that none repays evil for evil. And then thirdly, we have to just do good to one another. Patience is willingness to keep trying over and over again. Not Non-retaliation means that we do not strike back and try to get even with someone that may have hurt us in the process of helping him or her. Helpfulness is a, is a continual attempt to better the situation, to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. 
And in the last section of this chapter, we find instructions on how to, how to behave toward, toward God. What is our attitude to be toward God? Well, first, in, the, in, in circumstance, first of all, is, to be, is in the circumstances where he puts us to rejoice always, pray con- constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. So first of all, be joyful. Rejoice always. The word per- perhaps ought to be translated, be, be cheerful. Do not let things get us down. Society is filled with despair, with gloom. And, and, and I have phone calls uh, lots of weeks from people who are, who are at the end of themselves. The pressure under which we live today, it, it, it's understandable. All of the stress that's going on in our world. But a Christian, a believer has an inner source, an inner resource. So we can obey the words of James to count it all joy, brothers, when we encountered various trials and temptations. James chapter 1, verse 2. You see, trials make us grow up and they make us face ourselves and learn things about ourselves that we did not know. And that's what James goes on to say, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's why James says when trials come that we should rejoice because God is going to teach us something that will be of amazing value to us. Uh, Lots of us can testify to this. Secondly, Paul says, be prayerful. Pray constantly. That that is the method of drawing on that inner strength that God provides. God God often removes the props from our lives in order to teach us that that he himself is all we need. Have we we been there yet? Have our props been taken away? Those things that we lean against, those things we hide behind and, and have we begun to learn that God himself can meet those needs? As, as, as we've poured our, out our heart in prayer, sometimes in almost desperate prayer, we, we discovered that he had quiet ways of answering that taught us that he was El Shaddai, the God who is enough, the God who can meet our needs. And when we discover that, when we have something to contribute to a, to a group that will be, be a help to others, and that's why Paul says, pray constantly when we're under pressure and in trouble, be prayerful. Learn, lean on that inner strength that God provides. And then third, be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Why be thankful? Because when we, faced, when we are faced with a trial, we're being given an opportunity to give God glory. If we never face trials or pressures, then how can anyone ever see that we have an invisible means of support? that we have a reliable source of strength that others do not know anything about. These are the opportunities that God gives us. So Paul is telling us to be thankful. When the early Christian leaders were arrested by the Sanhedrin, they were beaten for their faith, but they left the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to bear suffering for his name's sake. That is a thoroughly Christian attitude, and and that is how we, we should try to face our trials. But notice how Paul underlines this. This is the will of God for you. The will of God is not to make some dramatic display of power or gift that's going to attract attention. It's the quiet response that we make to the daily stresses and trials and circumstances that we find ourselves in. Twice in this letter, we have had this phrase, this is the will of God. We had it in verse, first in chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul says, This is the will of God for you, that you know how to preserve your own body in moral purity. 
that that is the will of God for our body. But here is the will of God for our spirit, our inner life, that we give thanks in all circumstances. If we want to do the will of God, there are two areas in which his will is clearly set out for us. Moral purity for our body, continual thanksgiving for our spirit. And the next, next section deals with how to react toward the guidance that God gives us. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil. Verses 19 through 22. Two simple things are here. Do not ignore the spirit's prompting and do not despise scripture's wisdom. The spirit's prompting always comes in, in two areas. Stop doing what is wrong and start doing what is right. If, if we're a believer at all, we are familiar with the inner feeling that says God wants us to do something or God wants us to stop doing something. We have all felt that inner guidance. And what Paul is saying, give in to those feelings. When the Spirit prompts us to show love to somebody, then don't hold back. And then secondly, do not ignore the Scripture's wisdom. Do not despise prophesying. Unfortunately, because of certain um, cultic tendencies in our day, we think of prophesying as some special power to predict the future, either for ourselves individually or for the world at large. But prophesying was not that. This this prophesying that we are talking about is defined by uh, Dr. F.F. Bruce as declaring the mind of God and the power of the Spirit. And in those early days before the New Testament was written, This was done orally. You see, prophets spoke the mind of the Spirit in an assembly. But since the writing of the Scriptures, we've had sort of little need for any kind of prophecy like that other than what's based on the Scriptures. So prophesying really becomes what we call today um, expository preaching and teaching. It's, It's what I'm trying to do now. It's opening the mind of God from the Word of God. Do not despise that, Paul says. This, that is the wisdom of God. That is telling us how to act, how to think, and how to order our life. Do not treat it lightly. It will save countless headaches and heartaches if we observe it. But Paul adds, test it. It's easy to imitate this. Anyone can stand up and say in a deep tone of voice, this is the word of the Lord. But we must learn to test what is said from what has already been revealed. You see, Paul commended the Bereans for this, saying that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of heart and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Test it. That's what Paul is saying. Dr. Bruce says that there was a saying attributed to Jesus that was often quoted by early Christian writers, and it is, it's not in the Gospels, but it was commonly attributed to saying the urged that said, become approved money changers. You see, the money changers in the temple were occupied in changing various currencies and were constantly looking out for counterfeit coins. And that's what Paul tells us to do about prophesying. People on every side are telling us what God wants us to do, but there is much that is counterfeit in that today. How do we know what's counterfeit? We know what's counterfeit by knowing what is true. Become approved money changers. Test what is said. And then thirdly, with regard to the resources that God provides, we have this amazing closing verse. Verses 23 through 24 of chapter 5. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 
We don't really hardly have to expound on that. Simply recognize that God is able to minister to the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. God can touch us in all those areas. And then we can rest on his faithfulness. He will do it. Choose to obey and he will give us the power to perform, but he will not give us the power to perform until we make the choice to obey. And always remember at the end, it is until the coming of our Lord Jesus. Although this letter has been um, the, the great hope set before us, Jesus is coming again. God's kingdom will come on earth. There, there's only a limited time of testing to go through now. It can't go on forever. One lifetime is very short. And that's where Paul leaves us, with the hope of the coming of our Lord and the resources that God has provided so that we can live in a new and different, in a new and different way in spite of and in the midst of the age that we are in. Amen, and God bless.